0: Red in a tapestry, though its color brightly shine Can never see its purpose in the pattern of the grand design And the stone that sits on the very top of the mountain's mighty face Does it think it's more important than the stones that form the base? So how can you see what your life is worth, or where your value lies? You can never see through the eyes of man must look at your life look at your life through heaven's
1: eyes hello and welcome to through heaven's eyes and Tour your tv a podcast about uh the shows we watched and how our upbringings as pastor's children uh, in inform those my name is poet i will be your host and this is my government assigned co-host jesse
2: hello i'm jesse
1: uh, I use they, them, and...
2: I use he, him.
1: Cool. Oh, and this is part of the uh, One Mic Stand Podcast Jam for uh, the podcast minds there, but for the grace of pod, go we.
2: 100th episode spectacular.
1: Yeah. Part 100.2 or whatever, I don't know. Someone's probably submitted theirs already.
2: Yeah, maybe. Sounds like people are a bit ahead of ahead of us on this one.
1: Uh, how dare they, like be able to coordinate
2: <laughs> that's a lie it wasn't hard yeah i feel like this came together really uh well just pitching back and forth ideas and uh you go you ever you ever think about the movie rise of the guardians <laughs> and how it has a lot of christian like you ever in think Florida? about it because i never stopped <laughs> And I go, I didn't know anybody else thought this, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it turns out we have something extremely specific uh, in common uh, that we did not find out until we were working out what this episode would be, which is that we are both the kids of pastors. My background is in kind of evangelical, fundamental Christianity um, that took a twist for
2: what's it called? Messianic Judaism, kind of later in my life. And uh, for me, I've been uh, a pastor's kid to a southern baptist preacher since i was 10 and it's definitely shaped me in bad good and bad (laughs) ways
1: yeah Yeah. so this podcast exists because i have a lot of thoughts about rise of the guardians and kind of the pitch for this is rise of the guardians is a christian movie whether or not the creators were conscious of this or not and up top i just want to put a big disclaimer just the way christianity in america is tm um i do not want this to be considered like the reading of this or you know more authoritative than other readings or interpretations of this piece of media if you get something else out of it awesome this is very much just our how we read this piece of media given our backgrounds
2: yeah i I think we both came to the conclusion that christian has a very interesting habit of finding itself in almost every piece of media if you just squint hard enough Um, that's how a lot of media got approved for me to consume as uh, a kid growing up, is my parents like, well, I can see the faith value in this. Have at it, boy. Same. There were many things
1: in genres that I was not allowed to normally consume, like fantasy, because any sort of magic is witchcraft and that is illegal. This is not like, you know, I'm not exaggerating here. That's the kind of... That's kind of verbatim, except I was allowed to read Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings because those were, according to them, biblical allegories. And so I, I got the green light on those.
2: Yeah, my, my my folks weren't as strict, that tightly strict, but there were certain things like Harry Potter at the time, which... Yep. Uh, Jake Harrowling is a terrible person, but... <laughs> yeah,
1: given the turn of events, like, fine, but it did, like, I did miss out on a lot of pop culture that a lot of my friends and other people in my life got to engage in that I didn't like Harry Potter like Pokemon I wasn't allowed to do uh
2: <laughs> yeah what was interesting about the turn of Harry Potter for our house and this is the only part that it will talk about this you feel free to skip it would be like a minute maybe is that my mom is an avid reader so she read the book and she goes oh I can see how Harry's Jesus you can read this now <laughs> <laughs> And so that became a big piece of media in our house because my mom found the Christianity in it. Pokemon, Interesting. they just realized they were overreacting, and that's how I got back into that. But there was like other stuff, like Yu Gi Oh! was very uh, kind of taboo. Um, Courage is the Cowardly Dog, Grip Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Those were, those were hard pulls from me. Um,
1: yeah, those weren't even on the table in my house. I got. Once my mom found out about the Colosseum and Neopets, I wasn't allowed to play on that anymore.
2: <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's strict.
1: Yep. No video games in my house either. I, I bought my first console when I was 18 and I had my own job. <laughs> so it's interesting doing these comparisons because like, we both grew up in... You know what are generally widely considered strict Christian households, but the, like our experiences of them are both similar and also wildly different.
2: Yeah, it's a very interesting. Different levels of what parents would allow. Like when growing up, there was a church that we were part of that didn't care for Halloween, and we were the yep. o- we were the only kids that were that dressed up because my parents really didn't care that much at the time. Um, and we <laughs> got all the glares when we would can't come. We came into service in our Halloween costumes because it landed on Halloween one. Ugh. So we were the opposite
1: We were the only ones in our church who wouldn't observe Halloween Because it was the devil's holiday That stopped a few Like just as I was getting to be too old For it to be socially acceptable My parents started to lighten up on that
2: But yeah Yeah I would like to say my parents have Lightened up in age But it feels like it's gotten worse actually yeah. oh. <laughs> Um. So yeah I think that's good on our Backgrounds Do we want to summarize the the movie now?
1: Yes. Um, so the movie is kind of about a, it is, it opens on Jack Frost. You're kind of stereotypical. I mean, okay. If you haven't seen DreamWorks Jack Frost by now, I would like to know what rock you're living under. (laughs) As I say that, though I am someone who is not familiar with a lot of pop culture references, so let, I'll give a brief description. He is a fucking a twink, with you know, stereotypically handsome face, white hair. He does not wear shoes for some reason. He carries this big staff that is has a big crook in it, which I will get to. And yeah, he's was just he was just ready uh, for. Tumblr to do things with. DreamWorks seem to be good at that. They gave us the the one slur and Jack Frost,
2: and the entire uh, Rise of the uh, not Rise of the Dragons. Um, the How to Train Your Dragon <laughs> the How to Train Your Dragon franchise felt built just for Tumblr.
1: Yeah, they really do make you know <laughs> some sexy men for teens, tweens. I I don't know. I'm too old for that now. I'm being informed the Lorax wasn't DreamWorks rip rip there goes my theory
2: I mean the one slur though is is that something we want to be proud of
1: yeah I guess not <laughs> so it opens on Jack Frost coming kind of out of the water and looking up at the moon TM the moon will be important and just kind of he's woken up kind of not knowing where or who he is he goes out into this, like, village, uh, kind of medieval-looking village, and walks around and just tries to get his bearings, and then someone walks through him, and he's like, oh no, I'm not a real person anymore. And then we cut, and we go to... Do we want to do a whole play-by-play, or should I just summarize the Um,
2: If we do a play-by-play, I would say we kind of... Break down the religious themes as while well as we're doing it. If we want to just summarize the plot and just kind of like jump around, then after that, that works too.
1: Yeah, because like my notes are just—I mean, you can see them. They are a stream of consciousness as I watched the movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Why don't we do try and do the play by play, and I'll do my best. So then we go to this big workshop thing and we see elves and yetis and all these toys and we meet buff russian tattooed
2: santa what are your feelings on big tattooed santa i i love this design of santa i love that the naughty and nice list are tattoos on his arms and if you told me that this was alec baldwin i would never have believed you until i read the cast list
1: (laughs) yes he is so good like the the cast is some on its face wild choices, but most of them really work well.
2: Yeah, we should we should know Jack Frost is played by Chris Pine since he's already been introduced.
1: Yes, he is played by Chris Pine, and it's he sounds it. The good news is, unlike uh, the Mario movie, it works.
2: Yeah, it works really not,
1: well. Yeah, it you know it doesn't take you out of it. He's this kind of broody twink anyway, and this. It just, it flows well. I I love, I love Big Russian Santa. I love his swords. I love his vibe.
2: I love the elves always getting into stuff and sneaking snacks and kind of just up to like general mischief.
1: Yeah, they're the minions, but less annoying.
2: And then you have the great Yeti sidekicks.
1: I I do have a note here that I really hope the Yetis have a union.
2: The way they're organized, this sure does feel like they have a union. At least it's better than the elves.
1: The amount of work that gets disrupted i hope they have some collective bargaining rights uh okay so the santa's just doing stuff in his workshop then he gets to he gets turned around and the his attention is brought to this big globe that apparently every single one of these guys has <laughs> that is just this big sort of metal globe covered in lights each representing a person um specifically a child
2: (laughs) and specifically a child that believes in at least one of these guardians yes at least one usually more than one it is the globe itself like this is one question i have kind of not to derail us too early but Mm -hmm. each one of them has their own globe is each globe specific to who believes in them
1: I don't know. The movie doesn't treat it like that. The movie kind of treats it as global amount
2: of faith. There's just moments where I'm like, this feels like it's very specific to them. Like, um. True. Like, there's, there's, as you can kind of guess, the plot, there's a plot point later down the road where people stop believing in these characters. And. Yeah, who would have thunk it? <laughs> um, when the tooth fairy loses her belief, she's like, oh, they're not believing in me. And you see lights start dimming. And it felt like that was, like, very specific to her.
1: That's fair. Yeah, I guess it would be. I guess they do, since you know, spoiler alerts for later in this movie, the faith is kind of lost one by one. So there would be, yeah, I guess they would be at a different globe each time they show that. So yeah, I guess it makes sense that they're individual.
2: One of those ambiguous uh, kids movies rules that they just will will never yeah, have the it's, answer it's, to.
1: It's fine. <laughs> It's there to vi- and communicate something visually. So Santa sends out the bat-, bat signal to all the other guardians, which at this point in time consists of the Tooth Fairy.
2: Dina, I believe uh, her name is.
1: Right. Does anyone ever call her that? Nope. <laughs> so it literally
2: doesn't matter. Nope. And same thing with the Easter Bunny. I don't think that anybody calls him... Um... I mean, he's listed as Tooth. And, they're listed as Tooth and Bunny on this, but they do have names.
1: Fascinating. So yes, we have the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, and the Sandman. Which I guess I'm trying to think if there are any major holidays that get left out.
2: Um, they mention like Groundhog's Day. Yeah. I don't think they mention any other holidays. Though. They just mention Groundhog. It's
1: Day. funny that both the holidays are Christian holidays. Yep like
2: that's <laughs> and 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 both kind of adapted from i mean most christian holidays are adapted from this but like pagan traditions and it's emphasized the pagan traditions in this movie but it's still very religious
1: yeah i i wonder if that's different than the books these are uh, based off of both a series of books by William Joyce and a short film uh, by, I don't know if it's directed or it's attributed to the same man. He is responsible for many things in our childhoods, such as Roly Polioli, uh George Shrinks,
2: Meet the Robinsons,
1: Meet the Robinsons, yeah,
2: Robots, the movie that Tumblr also loves,
1: yeah, the shockingly anti-capitalist movie robots.
2: When you introduce a character named Aunt Fanny, you know Tumblr's gonna be all over that. <laughs>
1: so yes, once all the Guardians are gathered to the North Pole, they have a meeting slash fight, really, where Santa's like, I think something bad is happening and the Easter Bunny, ever the skeptic, and also really jacked, <laughs> is like, well, I don't believe you. And the Tooth is just kinda, you know, there participating i don't remember what you
2: what, what point she was making she was she was she's a workaholic she was still working
1: the, yes that's right yeah because she's the only one who well no, that's not true sandman's everywhere but sandman doesn't give off the vibe that it's work to do what he does
2: yeah sandman just kind of like hangs out and waves his hands and the work is done
1: yeah sandman doesn't talk at all yeah sandman
2: um, is mute which is an interesting choice
1: yeah I I I have the not theories, but I I that's something I'm going to talk about. Um, actually, since we're doing this all together, I probably should start talking about it. In kind of my general theory slash analysis of this whole thing, you can already notice a couple of threads slash allegories forming. Actually, let me get through this next scene, and then I'll get into that because uh, this is kind of where all that starts. Um, So they're having this argument, Sandman is trying to get their attention very badly because he notices something, which is up at the top of Santa's workshop, there is a skylight and the moon comes in and, you know, they finally get his attention to, you know, look towards the moon and the moon again doesn't talk. It is considered this big overarching figure that is what everyone else there follows And it doesn't speak, but it, you know, they just kind of know what it's telling them. Um, And it's, you know, it's very God vibes. Like, that's the immediate impression is this is God, but it's the man in the moon.
2: Yeah, there's an interesting thing that we'll get to later with the man in the moon and how it communicates to others.
1: Yeah. So basically, they get through this exchange where they're looking at the moon that something bad is happening. You know, the, the boogeyman, which uh, is occasionally referred to as Pitch or Pitch Black, I guess. But no one calls him that. Everyone calls him like the boogeyman or he repre- he's kind of this representation of nightmares or more accurately, corrupted dreams and is very... Like, extremely directly and opposite to Sandman in particular. Like, he doesn't like any of them, but he seems to have beef particularly with Sandman. And then the other part of this kind of meeting is they hear word from the moon that there is a new guardian being appointed. They There's a new person. They have to go and they have to go get him. And they are told that it is Jack Frost. Which no one except Santa believes, <laughs> originally. Only Santa is on board and has faith that Jack Frost will work.
2: There's just something really interesting about Santa's character and his unbridled belief in everybody. Yes. And I, I think I'm mean, I think we'll touch upon that, especially again in a bit. But yeah, it's, it's a super fascinating character choice just for Santa to have.
1: Yes. I love I love this Santa so much. He is, like, he is big gender energy. He is like you know, big and cuddly, and also dual wield swords and is not afraid to use them. Are his swords cutlasses? I can't remember off the top I think so. I
2: think they are, yeah. yeah, that's just he's a pirate.
1: Kind of, yeah.
2: I mean, like when you see the when you see the sleigh later, it's like, oh, this is just a pirate ship. But with-
1: he's a snow pirate. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, the the kind of Easter Bunny is generally the skeptic of the bunch. Uh, and the Tooth Fairy, in something that I didn't remember and I was not excited to be reminded of just because it didn't work, is they were really, like, they were trying to soft launch the, the Tooth Fairy and Jack Frost ship. And no one remembers it. For good reason.
2: <laughs> yeah. Some um some more casting things just before we keep going. Uh, the bunny is voiced by Hugh Jackman. Tooth is and he's
1: Australian.
2: Yeah, it's really good actually. I I like I like Hugh Jackman in this role. Uh, yeah. Tooth is voiced by Isla Fisher, who um I don't know if you changed her out, I would have noticed too much. Um. Yeah. And then J- Jula plays Pitch or the... uh. Sounds like he's doing. All that he can and more.
1: <laughs> yes. No, he's... The the visuals do not, I feel, match the energy.
2: Yeah, he, he saw the designs and he's like, oh, I'm going to have to play real hard on this one.
1: Yeah. And it's not even, like, necessarily the fault of the, the animators or anything. It feels like the character design... It's just really limiting. He's much more like plain than any of the other characters. Yeah, and maybe that's a point like they were trying to make contrast, but it's always bothered me that someone who's supposed to supposedly like made of sand and shadows is just kind of this rubbery looking
2: dude. Yeah, I, I think you made a great point earlier that might be included in this that he's an he's the opposite of. Sandman but the thing the issue is like he's such a one-tone color character that it doesn't it doesn't feel right it feels like um that kinetic sand that you use that you play with as a kid where sandman yeah. is all these different shades of gold and yellow that he feels way more fluid.
1: Yeah, well and his hair moves a lot more. Like yeah. his hair is like big and fluffy and kind of wild and you know the boogeyman's is not Well, kempt by any stretch of the word, but it's just kind of clumpy, and I just I've always been dissatisfied with the visuals on that particular character. Um, but yeah, anyway, they they go and we cut, they set off, and we cut to Jack kind of going around. Apparently, what he does here is he is responsible for it snowing just in general. Um he does that manually, which has gotta be a lot of work. Yeah. And so you see him start kinda doing, you know, this typical Jack Frost thing, doing frost on windows, putting snow on the ground. Some kids are coming out uh to play because they got a snow day off. God, I wish that were me. You could still see grass on the ground. We're not getting, you know. Well, I would assume not. I didn't go to school. I was homeschooled.
2: I, 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 I was, I was also homeschooled. But I also live in California, <laughs> so we never get snow.
1: Oh uh, yeah, opposite coasts, but yeah. So the you meet also this kind of. I don't know. I don't want to call them corporately diverse, but they kind of are. <laughs> The, uh, the kids, kids are the worst
2: design characters of this movie, even more so yeah. than Pitch. Yeah. They're all such, like, these are just a group of random kids. We put Spin on the generator and they spat out these five children.
1: Yeah, like, they all look fairly average, except this kind of, this large girl who is supposed to be, like, you know, big, tough, and masculine. Um, and she kind of is, but... You know, not, like, like I don't know. It's 2013. It feels period typical. But our main one is, I, I'm gonna real quick check and make sure I have the name I have written down is right. Because I'm calling him Jesse.
2: <laughs> I think it's Jamie.
1: Is it Jamie? I Did I get you. it wrong?
2: I had jam names.
1: J Name Yeah, yes, Jamie. Actually, I might have called him Jamie and I just misspoke.
2: I'm I'm on the I have the IMDb open. I'm ready, ready uh, to go I've, with these things.
1: I've just revealed your secret. Yeah, but yeah. So we meet the this group of kind of, you know, random <laughs> Blizzard diversity chart kids. Then the main one we are focusing on is Jamie, who is a hardcore believer in just about everything. Folklore wise, he like he believed in Santa. Is like all of our main characters. Plus Bigfoot,
2: yeah, he opens up on Bigfoot, which is funny because of the Yetis.
1: Yep, I wonder. I think he meets the Yeti.
2: Yeah, I think he does. I think they. Uh, yeah. I think his sister wonder- meets the Yeti. I think they all meet Yetis.
1: Yeah, well, his sister does. A, his sister goes on her own adventures. Another thing I, I I wrote down is I am I am very upset about uh, how the Greyhound moves. Uh, and it reminds me of one of the Boston Dynamics robots.
2: Why, why are animals so hard to animate in, um, in these CGI movies?
1: Oh, they got, they got four legs, I guess. I don't know. I think about
2: the dog from the original Toy Story and how awful it is.
1: Yeah. Okay. There's, I don't think anything except the toys in the original Toy Story we can look back too fondly on. That's fair. Uh, Because, like, Andy wasn't great to look at either. But, yeah, so he meets these kids who are kind of out doing, you know, snow day stuff. um, And Jack decides to start a snowball fight among them.
2: Which shows one of Jack's uh, powers, which I think is, at least for me, one of the first kind of, like, religious things that I pick up on. Where Jack can throw snow in someone's eyes and show them basically the magic of the world or the magic of fun yes and it reminds me kind of just of apostatizing and like the idea yes. of taking the scales off someone's eyes and going like look at the world around you don't you see oh the even dessert? more directly
1: yeah because i start referring to jamie and this group of kids as the apostles later and it's on. very
2: true because it's all about their belief when it comes down it
1: to it truly is it truly is <laughs>
2: I kinda wanna skip ahead a bit and go to Jack getting yeah. kidnapped and brought to Santa.
1: So he he gets the they have this whole thing happen. Um Santa being the reasonable adult he is sends his Yetis to kidnap Jack. Uh and it works. Uh <laughs> not especially bright any anyone involved.
2: It, it, we learned something cool about the Easter bunny in this though, where like, he can just tap the ground and opens up a hole in the ground that will let him travel anywhere. That's pretty neat.
1: That is pretty neat. It is also the way he prefers to travel uh, above anything else. (laughs) Everyone else will fly or, you know, take the sleigh. Easter Bunny, when it is up to him, he burrows. But yeah, so Jack is brought to the North Pole and kind of dumped in front of everyone um, and told, congrats, you're a guardian now. And they start doing like this whole ceremony and swearing him in and he's like, hang on. I A, I think you picked wrong, and B, I don't want any part of this.
2: This is uh this is also where we learn I think something else super interesting and again connects to me on a religious path, which is when Jack learns that he was chosen by the man in the moon. Yes. And he basically says, Wait a second, you guys you guys also know about the man in the moon, and he talks to you and I, I don't yeah, know about, exactly. I don't know about you, but I've always felt like growing up and people talk about God speaking to them and stuff, but it mm. never happened to me. So I always felt weird about it.
1: Yeah, well, especially when you are um, in proximity to the people who are presented as the appointed speakers of God, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it it is a weird thing. Because you see later, um, like, you know, one or two scenes down, or maybe it already happened. I don't know. Um, it doesn't matter that Jack, uh, you know, is very, you know, alone talking. He has this scene where he's alone talking to the moon and basically saying, why am I here? What do you want from me? Yeah. And he never gets a response. So, yeah, learning yeah that there are others similar to him and they do hear from the moon
2: quite regularly it seems
1: yeah and they yeah and they like you know they know that it's speaking to them and they know what it's saying and how to act on that because we never hear the moon talk either we never hear sandman talk and we never hear the moon talk and now i think we have enough base that we can get into like uh my more direct kind of allegory theories um which is, I think, originally I thought Jack Frost was kind of a Jesus figure, but upon rewatching it, um, I don't think that's true anymore. I think very directly, the Sandman is kind of the stand-in both for Jesus and for the Holy Spirit.
2: I can see that, yeah, totally.
1: Because he's like he's around, but he doesn't he doesn't speak directly, but his presence is very much felt, um, and both he kind of more. Seems to have a more direct relationship with the man in the moon than kind of anyone else does. He doesn't talk. He has beef (laughs) with this dark shadowy guy. He has quote unquote kind of servants extensions of himself in the way of dreams, uh, which are these big, like golden, shiny, like things made of sand, kind of like Green Lantern, but for sand. (laughs) Um... And the nightmares that Pitch Black, you know, the boogeyman is giving out are explicitly in the text corrupted dreams. So there's the argument to be made that these are demons made of corrupted angels.
2: And and I don't know when it happens exactly. I don't think it's like way late into the movie. I think it's pretty early on where Pitch talks about how he was the first Guardian technically. Uh Uh-huh. And how the man in the moon abandoned him after he didn't like what Pitch was doing, and it's very much like... Uh-huh. Samuel, like, well, who are these humans that you make? And now I'm a fallen angel, and I just want my throne back type of thing. Or, um, from my understanding of other religions, there are some other Christianity-adjacent religions that believe Jesus and Satan are brothers, which makes that also super interesting. <laughs> uh-huh. They just push a little more allegory onto this... With the other four Guardians, Jack included, I can see Santa being like a Matthew-type character. Mm, Or a John-like character, right? Who's very much in the belovedness of the Man in the Moon, where you have the Easter Bunny being more of a Thomas, a doubting Thomas.
1: For, For people who totally aren't me... Um, and are totally just listeners uh can you elaborate on who those are as uh, biblical yes. figures? um,
2: so most of these are apostles that follow Jesus in his uh i believe three year uh journey through like just sermons and the teaching and things like that. Matthew and John are uh the writers of the what, some of the early gospels in the New Testament, and especially john John is supposedly the only one Jesus called. Uh, my beloved, which means, like, hey, I love you specially, type of thing. <laughs> so I feel like I feel like is very much a combination of those two for pushing, uh, like, theology stuff because Matthew's one of those uh, characters, a, character, a person who, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my brain sometimes, um, who really, like, followed everything to a T in a lot of ways. Where I think Jack, in a lot of ways, is either a cross between Peter and Paul, the two Ps, uh, as hmm. i like to call them peter is again another apostle who is very strong-willed, strong-minded, but paul is a way down the road with someone who persecuted christians and then became christian after like having a run-in with god and yes um also kind of like didn't want to follow type of thing. I think both of those are very interesting. I think those are like a combination in that way. Hmm. And then you have the tooth fairy who is very much like the women who follow jesus in the gospels of kind of just being around doing busy work in a lot of ways yeah
1: yeah Um, but also allowed to allowed to be more around than women were often allowed to be in religious spaces in that time in that culture
2: yeah and totally had more faith than a lot of people around them yeah um, i think key at certain points because there's there's a lot of times where tooth is like the only one that still kind of believes in this mission even more than santa at times
1: yeah um and these kind of these characters um also have in text kind of explicit meanings of what they represent which we learn as we go through the story but right up, like right up uh next kind of after this big scene of jack turning it down santa kind of corners him in the workshop one-on-one i was like okay who are you really uh you know the i i have this uh quote written down oh 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 before that before that in the last scene uh something i felt strongly enough about that i i wrote it down um, was this exchange of jack saying you know you don't want me for this i'm i am not the person and santa says pick you think we pick we you were chosen by man and moon
2: yeah it's the idea of free will but not free will
1: yeah and jack turns around and says after 300 years this is his answer so coming back to the you know i've been talking to this thing who on some level i believe is listening but i've never gotten a response that i'm able to interpret
2: there's also the ceremony to become a guardian is very, like, you have to do it this certain way. And you yeah. have to say these words and you have to, um... Just it's,
1: oh my god, you know what it is? It's being baptized.
2: It's being baptized, but it's also, like, especially in, um, the last... I don't know. I, I like, my, my whole, like, religious history timelines are a bit screwy just because brain. Um... But it's the idea of, like, the, the words that you have to say to accept God in your heart. It's like, Do you accept this role as being a guardian? Will you protect the children? Like, I mean, yeah. that's most oh, right, oaths.
1: that is, that was a thing. That was, a, like, you did have to kind of yeah. explicitly sign up for Christianity.
2: Yeah. At
1: and, least in theory. In, in cu- theory. In cultural practice. <laughs> but.
2: And, and there's a lot of things that have oaths. But, again, we're pulling just from Christianity, so I'm pulling straight from that oath. Yeah, Boy Scouts about yeah, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, who knows? Maybe it's just Boy Scouts. <laughs> but then we go we go back to this. Um where Santa is kind of one-on-one with Jack and he asks, "Who are you, Jack Frost? What is your ce- what is your center? If man and moon choose you, you must have sm- something special inside." And he goes on to kind of exposit what uh, what Santa represents. Which is, you know, kind of fierce loyalty and courage to defend, you know, warmth to be, you know, to be joyful and be this comforting presence in people's lives. But most of all, he represents wonder and seeing wonder and joy in the world and in things and conveying that and sharing that with other people. Which I, I think is neat. I think it's an interesting choice for this character. To he he already kind of through his archetype represents a bunch of other things, but then they decide that whimsy is this guy's yeah uh,
2: vibe. There's also like the idea when uh, Santa is pulling. They called the dolls. <laughs> what are the dolls called?
1: the uh nesting dolls nesting i dolls. i know the word i can't pronounce it
2: <laughs> uh when he's pulling them out he's like well, th- this is like what's inside of me it's very much like what what is your soul telling you what is the truth of your soul and yes. the whole point of this movie is like what's what is in jack's soul what does he feel um, yes and turns out it's wonder for everybody
1: <laughs> yeah and and to be t- just as a a, a note just because this visual was a choice <laughs> that I'm, you know, the um, the Santa's center, his like tiniest little nesting doll, um, is a little sw- baby swaddled in red with giant eyes. And yeah, he says that's, you know, that's to perceive the world with wonder um, and to approach it in this way. And yeah, I've, I like I've said before, I really love buff Russian Santa. <laughs> But yeah, and then kind of, while they're gathered there, uh, Jack has not accepted his role. Yeah, I don't remember how, I don't remember what happens between there and next. But we, basically, they are alerted to something going wrong. And they, at the Tooth Fairy's place. Because she's the one that's like, they make a big deal of her working, you know, round the clock. uh, Because teeth. And... Uh, So they go to her place And as they're kind of Flying in You see these Horses made of black Sandy smoke Coming out Oh and I should have mentioned The Tooth Fairy is a hummingbird um, And she is almost surrounded by this fleet Of little tiny Hummingbird fairies Which I thought was a fun
2: choice Uh, Yeah I I think that's good Yeah there's a there's a scene where they encounter a rat uh, or mouse <laughs> yes. taking a tooth and one of the hummingbirds gets mad about it mad about it. And she's like, No no, they're part of our, our European division. I guess that's part of some um lore about rats being tooth fairies or mice being tooth fairies.
1: Yeah. I, I, I never knew that as more than a one off gag, but if if that's the case that's really fun. But yeah, so we see in um these kind of night I mean they're called nightmares. Ha <laughs> very fun Uh, and they have The tooth fairies entrapped in Like their semi-transparent Rib cages and are Flying off with them And so they all Like land and find out That not only has Uh, Pitch Stolen the fairies, he has stolen All of the teeth Which is weird It's upsetting Until, yeah <laughs> Why yeah. does this man
2: need so much teeth?
1: The Tooth Fairy is also obsessed with teeth to an uncomfortable degree. At least, like, it's in the name
2: Tooth Fairy.
1: I guess, but she doesn't need to show them to people.
2: I, I guess my thing is, like, what... I guess I, I just answered my question. Like, what does Pitch really need with the teeth? But that's so he can corrupt.
1: Yes, that is answered uh, literally moments later. As we learn through various exposition that apparently... In this movie, memories are stored in the teeth.
2: It's kind of like trees. Uh, where they're stored in the rings of the trees. Memory. Humans, it's in the teeth.
1: I, I guess. I don't know. I found
2: memories being stored in the teeth deeply upsetting. You know that famous uh, adage, EA Sports? It's in the teeth.
1: <laughs> oh, no. I don't want memories in my teeth.
2: I wonder. I wonder why, that's far I forget, so much stuff is because I still have so much teeth in my head. You have to have. Them, you have to take them out to have the memories. I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess.
2: Jack has. Jack has all of his teeth. That's why he has no memories. Yeah, well, actually. Yeah, we'll get to that.
1: <laughs> so they basically uh, find out, and also the kids of this fucking world are the most, most just like disloyal. You know, they will turn on you in an instant if you don't show up for them. Uh, because the moment that all the teeth are stolen and, like, her ability to go gather teeth is stolen, uh, people stop believing. Just, like, instantly. <laughs> and I'm. Oh, and I know that's, you know, for, like, the narrative to move forward in a timely manner, but also, like, <laughs> these. These kids are failing the marshmallow test. And yes, as is kind of exposited to us here, I keep using that word. The the Guardians very directly have power only when people believe in them. Specifically children. Um, Well, mostly children. It's kind of implied that adults believe matters too, but they're mostly worried about children.
2: It's kind of like uh, in Monsters Inc. that the screams of children or the laughs of children are more powerful.
1: Yeah, uh, but yeah. So and that's part of why Pitch is so mad is because they kind of they banished him in the Dark Ages. haha. Uh So no one knows about him anymore. So he's you know he doesn't have power. And now that Tooth Fairy's you know stand you know way of handling things has been taken away from her and all the teeth. That she was hoarding, <laughs> yeah. Um, have been taken. She immediately starts to lose power, and we found out. We find out in the scene that Tooth Fairy represents memory and like you know memories, and also that she has Jack's teeth, which like cool, I guess. And he is shocked. He's he's like, "Are you kidding me? I have." Been missing my memories for three hundred years, and I just could have come to you, which becomes like a whole thing.
2: Yeah, it's one of those things where like they they were aware of Jack, right? And yeah. It seems like especially Tooth was aware that Jack didn't know who he was. Yep. That's uh, just just kind of feeling. It's
1: just never. And, and too part busy. of the yeah, well, part of the explicit message of this is that all the current current guardians, uh, excluding Jack, are so busy they don't have time to be in touch with the people that they're doing all this for they're they're they are very explicitly like the overworking parent who's trying to make a better life for their kids but doesn't have a relationship with their kids
2: yeah there's uh when they have all the guardians become tooth fairies for a moment uh there's which is up next yeah tooth Mm -hmm. mentions like oh it's nice to be in the in the field again it's been so long
1: yeah Which is like, of course, the logical next step is when you have uh, a bunch of super, you know, supernaturally powered beings um, that need to keep their friend alive by keeping things believing in them. And they all have access to the entire globe. Answer is, well, we'll just do it ourselves. You know, we will get the teeth. Um, (laughs) So they, you know, kind of this slapstick hilarity ensues. Uh, It becomes a competition between them who can gather more. I I enjoy the part where they they are, they get all of them. They're very proud. They're standing in an alley, and she's like, "Wow, you're so efficient. You've been leaving presents and everything." And nope, they they have to go back. They have to go to a laundromat and get quarters, and then go back out into the world. And we meet we meet our our children again in this because, of course, he lost his <laughs> his sister. I don't actually remember. I guess it doesn't matter. He has this little sister who's. Hair has always annoyed me. It's very stringy and straggly. Stra- uh, I have, <laughs> I apparently have a lot of nitpicks with the visuals of this movie, which you're only hearing about because I love the rest of it so much. Like it's, it is genuinely a very pretty.
2: movie. Yeah, it's, I I think, I think besides the children and moments with Pitch, I think it's a a really well designed and crafted movie.
1: So yeah, they go, get there. They they meet up. Uh, just happen to meet up in this one kid's room and of course them being them they start arguing over who collected the most teeth waking up the sleeping child in the bed next to them and this kid who we explicitly saw earlier um excuse me had his eyes touch uh kind of touched with the the magic that allowed him to see things wakes up and is like Oh my God! We <laughs> the the Easter Bunny, Santa, the tooth and the Tooth Fairy, and the Sandman are all in my room, and it is made very clear that he can't see Jack Frost. Uh, which is established earlier that not enough people believe in him, but also because he's not a guardian yet, it doesn't matter. Like that doesn't affect him at all. Which this is something that bothers Jack a lot: is that no one can see him or interact with him in any way.
2: And this is I, I I wrote down the invisibility with nom down. I couldn't make the mental connection myself, but there was something itching at me with that. I think at times it's maybe the isolation, being raised so heavily Christian. Yeah. To me, especially with some friends, and even now as an adult who's really really in the weeds with things. Like I am not this, and maybe this is too personal for a episode of something. But I do <laughs> I do feel myself like not picking up on certain cues um and i'm wondering if it's my upbringing that's caused it or not it's it's just it's something really interesting i don't think that's the connection i was thinking about when i jotted down that but there's something there about that
1: (laughs) yeah i i put down in the world but not of it um partially because that was a big like motif kind of as i was growing up of what christians should be and also what Jesus was in the tradition you know, in the Christian tradition I was raised in. But yeah, it is, it is very interesting um, and definitely a departure from what would be a direct allegory because uh, in traditional Christian theology, God doesn't really care how much you believe in him. He's going to keep existing. I mean, he cares, but not, it you're not
2: going to stop him by not believing in him. The man in the moon is always there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess that is true. Man in the moon is
2: always like there. there's never a sense of danger that the man in the moon is, is gonna disappear because no one believes in the man in the moon, but there's a sense that the man in the moon, um, is kind of greedy for the belief still.
1: Maybe I didn't get that sense, but I also wasn't paying attention, so so yeah, some hilarity ensues when Sandman tries to knock out the child. Um, it kind of bounces around the room hitting literally everyone but Jack Frost and the Sandman himself, which, um, oh, and the little sister character. This becomes important. <laughs> so they see a, a one of these nightmares uh, outside the window and their presence kind of scares it off, but the, the two of them choose to chase after it, uh, which leaves this uh, small child with a lot of magical means of access to uh some very magical parts of the world i'm sure that's fine oh and uh i will say before everyone gets knocked out uh the easter bunny is fully ready uh to throw hands with this greyhound
2: until the greyhound leaps and then he's like oh wait never mind
1: yeah and it's very funny that the the gray they make a, a very specific point of it being a greyhound which have like a prey drive uh for rabbits uh, it's very funny to me that this Greyhound is not put off by the fact that this rabbit is, like, 6'4 and jacked. Uh, <laughs> it's still, like, ready to attack. Um, until everyone's asleep. Um, so these two, uh, Jack Frost and the Sandman, go out chasing this nightmare. Surprise! It's a trap. <laughs> who who could have guessed? Um... They run into Pitch, who gives some monologue about him not being good enough. I don't know. He gives so many of them.
2: Every, it's this. It feels like the same monologue every time.
1: Yeah, and it's just basically like, you know, the same stuff Jack was saying about himself. Like, you're not meant for this. You're not good for this. I used to be this. Now I want to overthrow this. Like, fine, but <laughs> once... Once you've heard one, like, they all just kind of blend together. Um, and there's one in every scene with them. <laughs> so the, the important part <laughs> of this is they get into a fight. Because, of course, they do. They all get kind of surrounded by these, you know, shadowy demons. Sandman gets out a whip. Because, of course, he does. Which, I guess, if we're going with the Jesus allegory. Jesus is also known to wield a whip at one point
2: that's tre- technically true yes
1: yeah i don't i don't know if it's relevant but i just made that connect am i reaching yes will i stop
2: no i mean that's that's the show is technically reaching <laughs>
1: yeah um yeah so basically the you know big splashy fight again this is a really pretty movie you should see it
2: <laughs> yeah it still holds up again really well
1: yeah, yeah, like, almost all of it holds up really well. Um, the only design that I think looks a bit dated is Jack Frost, but that's fine. That might just be because I've you, we've seen him kind of everywhere uh, since. And so, big fight. Um, the rest ha- are, like, half asleep, but they come rushing in on Santa's sleigh. But not in time to stop when uh, Pitch... Shoots Sandman in the back. And because Sandman is kind of explicitly made of this sand, um, and he is, like... And Pitch's whole thing is corrupting the sand dreams. He gets corrupted and goes dark. And is killed. <laughs> like, just... He's gone.
2: Now, spoilers for... I, I It feels like when... In the third act, Sandman does come back. It's been three days. I don't know if that's accurate.
1: It certainly feels... But it feels right. It feels like it should be, even if I don't know if it's true.
2: I I wish I could remember, because I think there's a line of dialogue where the Easter bunny says how many days before Easter it is.
1: Yeah, that's true. A whole big uh, plot point in the second act is... um, each of these guardians is having their kind of thing being disrupted, and uh the Easter bunnies is coming up soon. Well, except Santa. Santa doesn't really have much to worry about because it's April or May. but Yeah,
2: I think it, I think it's just the it just kind of spreads that people are like. Well, if the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy aren't real, then Santa isn't real. Yeah yeah I, th- I think it might, I think it might be three days though it feels, I, I know Sam there's Mike definitely
1: at least two
2: at least two, but I at least two, but, but they, I think there's a strong we'll, argument for three.
1: We'll call it three. <laughs> just, yeah, to make our argument stronger. and yeah, and kind of spoilers for the end of the movie as well, but just kind of talking about it. It it is kind of very, like, this is where the, like, Sandman is directly a Jesus allegory comes in, because um, he is is defeated in a kind of this cheap way. Um, But he also turns around, looks him in his face, and just kind of accepts the death. Like, he is succumbing to the darkness. He is taking on all the darkness. And when he, you know, when he comes back, when he is brought back, it is very explicitly, like, the, the faith that these children, who I will be referring as the Apostles from now on, because that's basically what they are, have in him and the other Guardians, uh, is very explicitly what brings them back to life. They face down these nightmares, and they turn them from the black sand back into the gold. Of, of the dreams, which Sandman comes back out from. Which, yeah, it's it's very... Like, they're, they're not perfect metaphors by any means, but there's a lot.
2: Yeah, th- th- this is the part of the movie where things get, like, kind of loosey after yeah. this point, I feel like. It's, this is one of the longer kids' movies also out there, I think, at an hour, like, 40. So there's some, there's some downtime... In this movie, that yeah. is unexpected. If you're like used to like fast movie kids movies, yeah, it's just, it's, it's there's a weird tonal shift after Sam Mann dies.
1: Yeah, which, uh, yeah, they they go back and hold a a funeral at the North Pole. And I wanted to, uh, I was kind of it was pointed out to me as I was watching this that this uh this came out in a post Minions world. Minions came out, uh, Despicable Me came out two or three years. Uh, before this, so it's very possible that uh, studio execs were like, "You need minions, and that's why we have the elves." But instead of being like annoying or like over the top sobbing, they're very they're very somber, somberly mourning the Sandman, and I just found that very
2: nice. <laughs> yeah, the elves never never are too much, and same with the Yetis. I think they're my favorite. One of my favorite jokes is we, we kind of passed over, but when Sandman's trying to get their attention. Um, to the man in the moon, he he just grabs one of the elves and just shakes it violently because ha- they all have bells on them, yeah. and then the yeah. elf just passes out after he lets it go. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's very funny. I, I like the the I like the elves. I like the Yetis more, but I like the elves. And so Jack is feeling, you know, kind of very sad. This is kind of where this is where he stops being like. You know, more in it for himself and just like wanting to get back, or, or more explicitly after the tooth fairy, his motivation became wanting to recover the teeth so he could get his memories back, and now it is explicitly wanting to defeat, uh, Pitch, which, cool, um, and he feels a lot of guilt for not being able to save Sandman and. Santa Santa again Santa's very much like the the father or uncle uncle figure to the group. Yeah. And especially to Jack. And so he's, you know, reassuring him that he did enough. He saved everyone else. And I have in my notes Easter time baby. So yeah, now we are the we are getting the focus of the group shifts from recovering Tooth Fairy to trying to stabilize the level of faith just in
2: general yeah
1: by making sure we are prepped for easter yeah fun fact uh to add to like more unnecessarily (laughs) unnecessary kind of uh upsetting details about these different things first teeth hold memories and now all the easter eggs have legs and i ask
2: why just so they can get where they're going. There's nothing special about. Yeah. Here's the thing I don't understand though. They treat these eggs like they're actual eggs, and I've never done Easter egg <laughs> hunts with actual. They eggs. They
1: refer to them as hard-boiled. Yeah. I I feel like I have once. We didn't really.
2: It was all it was all like like fake plastic eggs with candy inside.
1: Yeah. Although to be fair, in like the you know, in the theoretical purest form of the tradition, it would be these dyed eggs. Yeah, true. I think it's just our parents being practical. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that we didn't want to eat hard boiled eggs that were out outside for a couple hours.
2: So yeah, this is another example of Jack using hours to kind of like get people off their high horse and like be around the people again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is where it's explicitly stated um because there's this small child running around kind of causing havoc. Um and Jack seems to be the only one who knows how to interact with children in any real way. Yeah, this is where it is explicitly. Jack asks, you know, do you you people really don't know how to you know be around kids, do you? Yeah, and they <laughs> straight up say we're too busy bringing joy to the children for <sighs> children.
2: So after the there's a montage of them kind of like getting Easter ready. They. That they need to take the girl home, and Jack's like, "I'll do it. Don't worry about me." And but they're like, "But Jack, you're the strongest of us all. You
1: shouldn't leave."
2: And he's like, ah, "I'll be fast.
1: Yeah, I'll be right away." Um, and he takes
2: this little tooth fairy with him. Yeah, he takes he takes a tooth tooth like only fairy left with uh with him. They he drops the girl off, but he hears a voice, and the voice leads him to a yeah. well
1: ish thing. And it's like this this feminine kid's voice. It's not like it's not the nightmare.
2: Yeah. And the fairy tries to tell him not to. And he's like, no, no I'll be quick. I just want to go. And he basically finds Boogeyman's lair. Yeah. Finds all the teeth and finds his tooth. And...
1: Yep. And they're all in these little, like, really cute little metal cases. Uh, with, like, velvet <laughs> velvet insides where the teeth are kept. Um, but yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, this was a trap. Because jumping down a well is almost never a good idea.
2: Nope. Especially. Um, and then when you find all these teeth...
1: Yeah, we, when you find, we, don't jump into wells full of teeth.
2: This yeah, is the moral in, of this story. In general, if you just kind of walk into a room and there's a pile of teeth, uh, th- that's not a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. at a dentist, it's not a good sign.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, and then we have another confrontation and monologue with Pitch. Uh, something, something, you'll never be one of them. It's just a lot of him telling Jack's deepest fears to his face like an asshole. Um, very, very much the vibe of just a lot of intrusive thoughts. Uh, but you know, because the villain is what he does, his whole thing is trying to stop people believing, so they believe in him instead. Well, I don't know why the Dragon boys came out for that. Um,
2: um. So they have the little fight. Jack escapes. No. Oh, he doesn't. I he,
1: there. Yeah, they they make it out.
2: Well, no, she I think doesn't she get kidnapped because he, he uses as leverage later?
1: No, she uh, I guess I thought she got kidnapped while they were on the mountain.
2: Maybe that's what happened. I thought I got kidnapped because they ask where she is when he shows back up.
1: Okay, you might be right, yeah. So yeah, basically, uh he comes out of this holding his his tooth container and, you know, this big monologue ends with you've ar-, you know, you have already fucked this up uh irredeemably. And as kind of the shadowy veil lifts and, you know, he turns back around, um, uh, Jack is in the Easter Bunny's tunnels with smashed eggs covering the floor just everywhere. And we learn that enough time has passed that Pitch and the nightmares were able to get to every single Easter egg. That they had prepped and destroy them. Yeah. So it come. You know, we come back up. It's Easter morning. There are no eggs, and just it, it being narratively convenient, all the kids immediately lose faith. Which fine. <laughs> um, even the uh, the the loyal ones, the apostles. Um, all except Jamie. Jamie continues to believe, but all of the others uh, die, die, their, their little lights on the the globe from earlier die out. And the other guardians confronted by Jack showing up holding his teeth, you know, three days late with Starbucks, are, are very mad and, uh, basically react in probably the worst way possible because it confirms everything that Pitch was saying. (laughs) And, yeah, this is basically, like, you fucked this up massively. Uh, get out. Yeah. It's not biblical, but it also does reflect some of my experiences in the church.
2: I mean, yeah, I think our experiences kind of go valid. Because, like, it turns out a lot of things happen similarly in a lot of places.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, so, so Jack's, Jack's alone on a mountain with his teeth. His teeth, <laughs> which is great. I, I hate, I understand they're used narratively,
2: but I hate that their teeth. Gets into another fight with Pitch. Yep. Pitch gives us the same monologue again.
1: Yep. He, he basically, and then it, it kind of come summer comes back to, he holds out this, this little tooth fairy that he, I guess, lost somewhere between there. I was like, hey, if you want, you know. Basically, I'm going to kill this thing if you don't give me your staff, which I guess is important. Yeah. Like, it it's shown he it's shown him using the staff to do things, but I don't feel like it's ever explicitly stated that his power requires the staff. I think it's- Until now. Yeah,
2: I think since, like, the big blast kind of comes from his, his staff, it's kind of just assumed. I to, guess. From Pitch. Maybe Pitch knows more than he does, like, in, who knows. That's fair, but yeah, eventually Jack gives up his staff and, get, and it gets broken. Um, yeah, and as as you put in your notes here, literally at rock bottom.
1: <laughs> yes, he he winds up. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't get the little fairy back. Um, because you don't with the, you don't make a deal with the devil and uh, expect him to keep his word.
2: But but somehow he does save her though because he like she's the one that tells him to open you, up the teeth.
1: N- yeah no he 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 eats that thing just like over the mountain that they're in and into this like valley where they do wind up <laughs> as written very literally at rock bottom in this crevice uh where it's just him and this this fairy and the teeth <laughs> um which is where we find out that this uh this feminine child's voice has been
2: coming from now talking about rock bottom another allegory is like backsliding the idea of kind of giving into your wants and your needs and falling out of your faith and falling to rock bottom.
1: Mhm. Yeah. I I I made a No, I didn't. I put this somewhere. No, yes I did. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting the the order of my notes confused. Um yes, uh I put in here that this is giving big Uh, Jesus out in the desert and being tested by the devil vibes. I think, I think this kind of stuff is what gave, you know, what gave me the memory of Jack being more of a Jesus allegory.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: I don't think it's a clean one, but I definitely think there are, like, elements that could be read that way. Yeah. The, the staff is broken. Literally at rock bottom. Voices coming from his teeth. Um, and he, we... He opens it and we get thrown into a flashback where we find out that Jack, several hundred years ago, was kind of very similar to how we see him here. He's the funny older brother figure who's always kind of playing tricks on people. He's, you know, he's there to be silly. And we wind up out on this lake, this frozen lake. Where this little girl in skates is, you know, kind of standing out in the middle. Uh, and the ice is cracking around her. And a human Jack, who still did not believe in shoes, is is out there trying, you know, basically trying to keep her calm and get her out of this situation. Which culminates in him picking up the the random stick that would become his staff and using that to kind of literally swap their places. So he dies for her. You know, if we're if we're taking this in an allegorical way, he dies for her, her mistakes, her sins. The sacrificial she shouldn't have been lamb. out there. Yeah. Yeah. Sacrificial lamb. He literally has a shepherd's staff. Like, that's the first thing I noticed, is it's a crook. <laughs> Which, if you aren't familiar with uh, Christian theology, Jesus is often referred to as the shepherd and uh, his followers as sheep. So, uh, that symbolism is very important so yes and uh, as I have it written down in this he he dies and the the moon is present um, and he is reborn through the moon where we go to back to that opening scene where you know he's he's in this different form now and doesn't remember who he was and then finds out that he's not tangible <laughs> anymore and then we we come out of the flash back, and we have the we have the broken staff, and it is he he and the tooth fairy put it back together through uh, what I interpreted as Jack's faith in the man and the moon. Just he you know he saw the miracle, and that gave him the faith to because like okay so a big a big idea um at least in the tradition i was raised in and i say that because like we were raised in different ones i don't know what yours is i know that it kind of you know there are some big points that are kind of the same across denominations but on the smaller details you know you can get fuzzier yeah so but like in the one i was raised in it was very much a miracles are a a living thing that still happen if you have enough faith yes you they can happen through you yeah so i saw kind of that in jack has kind of he's had enough witness to this to the power that does exist and that gave him the power he he alone was not powerful enough to have you know it Only with himself, but because he believes in the man in the moon, that gives him the power to mend his staff and regain his own power. And he's not formally a guardian, so, like, theoretically, people not believing in him shouldn't make things worse. Like, he's not any worse off because no one currently believes in him, (laughs) but... So, yeah, and they, they come up from our literal rock bottom, and they go and... They they go back to the well um, where not only the teeth were being stored but all the tooth fairies and they let them out and the the handy dandy little globe uh, the faithometer uh, tells them that faith is dying and there is only one child left in the entire world that still believes. Oh, and Pitch is there giving another, giving us another identical monologue. They really do run together after a while. Yep. Um, but anyway, he, he's counting down, you know, three, two, one, but that one last light doesn't go out and that, that upsets him very greatly. (laughs) So, and then, and then, then we go back to the apostle Jamie praying to a plush rabbit as a, a, a stand-in for the Easter bunny, begging for a sign that he still exists. He doesn't have to show up. He just wants anything to affirm his faith, which like man I felt that. Yeah I just, I've, I've had many nights like that. I've definitely been there <laughs> and 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 Jack is there but of course no one can see Jack because uh, not enough people believe in him for him to be you know significant um, but what Jack can do is he can draw in frost on the windows and uh so that's that's what he does he He draws eggs and rabbits and stuff on the windows, and Jamie sees this, and his his faith is restored, and not only in the Easter Bunny, but in Jack Frost, who apparently is is known enough to be like something that the mother can refer to and say isn't real
2: but <laughs> Yeah, I think it goes back to like when they were picking the the Guardian, like the New Guardian, and the Easter Bunny goes not the not the Groundhog, like th- like these people. Ex- there's like more. There's more of these people existing in this world, but they are not big enough beliefs to be Guardian level.
1: Yeah, which I'm I'm very interested in, uh, just because how we see Jack having this tragic backstory as to how he became a magical creature i'm very curious what happened to this groundhog (laughs) Uh. (laughs) well i think
2: that's just so interesting about the easter bunny and why he's so doubtful this is more movie analysis but like it's because he was originally just a bunny
1: yeah yeah which um as he shows up in a moment we we see him as just he is a normal sized bunny
2: yeah and santa is a very old man
1: yeah. Yeah, who he his swords again in kind of a fun uh interesting bit of visual visual uh language. Uh he start as he's lo- Santa when he loses his power, his swords become a cane. They don't change shape. He starts using them as canes, which yeah, but it's kind of interesting. And the Tooth Fairy just kind of collapses because she's a hummingbird who can't fly. Um but yeah, so this this bit of faith that this Jamie, uh, literally, Jamie witnesses a miracle and his faith is restored and to the point where he sees Jack Frost and Jack is very excited because no one's been able to see him for 300 years. Uh, yeah, Santa and the Tooth Fairy come crashing in powers are completely gone. Jamie sees them, and his faith in them is restored, because he saw them earlier. Which, like, yeah, he saw them earlier. These children have no object permits.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're still kids, though. It's one of those things, too, where, like, the idea that the people around you kind of strengthen or weaken your belief. Yeah. If you're around a bunch of non-believers, eventually you might become a non-believer. It's something that gets pushed around.
1: It's definitely something that gets pushed around!
2: Um, I think, uh, uh, where else, where, yeah, Nightmares come in, they decide to fight together, but not just together, they add the Apostles to fight together, because Jack opens their eyes to everything.
1: Yep. Jack, as they are, he, Jamie, literally, Jamie and Jack go out and kind of throw snowballs at the windows and, and, you know, open their eyes to this kind of magical world. Um, and all, all of the, of the kids come down, uh, and, and come out to, to see this, to, part- to participate, to witness this, uh, cause it's not really explicit that they're going to be fighting yet. Spoilers, I guess. Um, the, so we're back out kind of in the street. The pitch shows up again with all the nightmares, The it's such a pretty movie like especially with the, when the like dream and nightmare effects are there. Yeah. It's these are my favorite parts. And Jack you know just kind of you know, we've seen earlier in the movie that Jack is not powerful enough to kind of to do the solo. And he admits to, the, to that um as kind of to mirror what happened in the flashback where they're in a very scary situation and Jack's just trying to hold it together uh to keep this kid safe. Jack decides they're going to fight fear and nightmares with fun and they begin throwing snowballs at
2: them. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting that it's the it's the fun thing uh that's happening is what defeats Pitch and you have it here in your notes, but it's a very similar thing. It's like the idea that our belief in our uh faith no matter what can kind of rebuke the devil because it's something that needs to be put as real to us is is very apparent with like the belief in the guardians is what's helping defeat pitch because like it's it's their belief that like they don't have to fear this thing they don't have to uh fear the darkness they can embrace the fun and the light
1: yeah, exactly. The, the darkness is not something to be avoided, but something to be in, to be countered.
2: Yeah, and it's there's also something later on with Pitch being like, I, "I'll come back." I kind of like there's always gonna be nightmares. Is the idea that we also need to be wary of pretending like the devil doesn't exist because that's yes. like the worst fear
1: oh my god spiritual war thing is a spiritual warfare was a big thing yeah. here
2: we talked about sandman getting reincarnated by the faith of the children
1: yes they're they're explicitly um jack straight up says i do not ha- i can't fight you by my by myself but uh these kids the apostles come up and say, I will do it. You know, I will fight you. I will stop you. And these horses, you know, these horses made of black sand come in and you know, charge at them and the moment they make contact with the kids, it explodes into the golden sand. uh, Which we, we have seen. It is Sandman. And as there is more and more of it because they keep Charging in and being, you know, uh, unpurified. I I have been referring to them kind of internally as like corruptions of dreams. So I guess purification is uh, an appropriate one. But they the they come back um, and become these these shapes again. Um, like I mentioned earlier, it's like Green Lantern but with sand and. Once again, I'm going to say, if you have not seen this movie, you should watch it, because this is one of the prettiest scenes in the entire thing. And Sandman comes back fully formed and just knocks Pitch out because the, like, dreams and faith are back, so the darkness doesn't have a hold in any meaningful way it doesn't have power over them if they're not afraid of him and so sandman is able to just kick this guy's ass and very immediately just restore dreams everywhere and it's very interesting and i think kind of strengthens uh why i think of him as sort of a holy spirit allegory is the tooth fairy and santa uh, and the Easter Bunny their jobs are all portrayed as very laborious kind of a lot of manual labor they have to put an effort to do the things that they're supposed to do Sandman it's very easygoing like no one he can just like will it out and the sand goes out to everyone who's sleeping uh as opposed to the others who have to put in like actual work,
2: yeah, I was just uh so we are so after basically pitch is defeated, and they're he's either on the lake that Jack was born at i I think this is the thing I find another thing I find super fascinating religion wise is the nightmares turning on pitch because he's the only one with fear at the moment, mm. there is end times prophecy that like the devil doesn't escape everything he goes to hell and he's stuck there he's trapped forever like he's not getting away he's stuck with the things that he uses to hurt people
1: (laughs) yeah which yeah (laughs) that that very explicitly happens and then um I didn't remember it being cloudy but apparently it was cloudy because the clouds part and the moon's back um (laughs) shining over this lake where everything kind of began for Jack and again and like you said the nightmares turn on pitch and just chase him chase him back into from whence he came and then in front of the moon on the lake where he died and was risen again and in front of his apostles Jack is confirmed as a guardian and takes the oath and they do a much pared down version of the ceremony Yeah, but they still have the book
2: (laughs) because of course they have the book well you have to have the good book
1: I just made that connection now.
2: <laughs> and as you said, the last quote by Jack is, "I'm a guardian because the moon told me so." And so, when the moon tells you something, believe it. Yep. And that is our faith interpretation of Rise of the Guardians. <laughs> and
1: that's Rise of the Guardians. Um, I did. Do not... you have any
2: closing thoughts on this? uh No, I just I'm like this is one of those things where when we start pitching it around, I'm like, okay, cool, like, we'll get like. We'll get like an hour out of this, I think, because like hours usually what I do for show. I'm looking at my recording, and we're about two hours. Which we'll we'll probably cut like 15 minutes off at the beginning of just chit chatting, but still, uh, this this is a dense episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I have had this. This came up because we were we were you know government assigned podcast hosts, and we were kind of pitching ideas back and forth, and we each came with an idea. But not we were kind of like, eh, I'll do it if you really want to, but you know we'll see if we can find something else. And then it came up that we were both pastors' kids, and then it came up that I had a lot of feelings
2: about Rise of the Guardians then it that came up you that, shared. Yeah, that I also had feelings about Rise of the Guardians,
1: and so yeah, it was very nice to revisit this, um, uh, and kind of finally get these thoughts out of me that have that I have been living
2: with for nine years. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess we kind of have to end somehow.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. How do how do Plugs. people end let's these? Pl-
2: let's, pl- let's plug things.
1: Let's plug things. Pu- okay. Do you have anything to plug? Oh, uh, uh, what what do I plug? Uh, you go first. I will. I'll figure it out. Uh, you can just
2: follow me on Twitter at sleeper of the bed. Anything <laughs> anything else I do, I retweet on there.
1: Okay, fine. Uh, yes, you can. Okay, I'm actually, I'm going to, I'll plug myself, but then I will plug something that is not mine. It is another podcast I think you all should listen to if you like gods and traditional, traditionally Christian communities dealing with gods that are not that one and powers kind of beyond them um, and are into horror. I am, I would highly recommend the podcast Old Gods of Appalachia. It is a horror anthology podcast. It feels like you're, it, it feels like you're, you're like, it, it, it gave me very similar feelings to being in church, which is, uh, someone with a nice voice is telling you stories, but this one is, is much more queer inclusive and, um, also the story rocks. So yeah, that is something I will plug. If you want to hear more from me for some reason, I am on Twitter at Paddington, spelled with two A's in the middle and two three and so on. It's weird. I, I picked a bad handle. <laughs> um, <coughs> um, Yeah, you can follow me if you watched and enjoyed the Argonauts episode about the uh, Guy Fieri ARG. I did all the research for that. And that's, I think, the project I'm most proud of to date. And I. My podcast.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I also, like, just again, want to thank Moonshot and Podcast Minds for letting us do this because I don't think either of us would ever have met someone else that would have come, kind of, come up with this brainchild.
1: Yeah. Yeah, This is super fun. I, I have, I, I, I've loved just kind of talking at things. um, And I've, I've always been interested with, in podcasts, but I've never gotten the opportunity to try it, and uh, this is super fun.
2: never know, you might hear from us again with, uh, I don't know, just talking about the country bears <laughs> and how it relates to religion. We could talk about the country bears. I just would like to talk about the country bears, because that movie's a fever dream.
1: Oh, right, that was a movie. It was a movie. I, I was getting it confused
2: with the Berenstain Bears. Yeah, that's that's uh, anything with morals we could probably pull from
1: oh yeah no don't get me started i have i have so many thoughts on genshin impact
2: (laughs) oh man okay um yeah (laughs) so yeah uh yeah again thanks uh podcast minds and moonshot
0: In the desert sand is less than a cool fresh spring And to one lost sheep a shepherd boy Is greater than the richest king If a man lose everything he owns Has he truly lost his worth? Or is it the beginning of a new and brighter birth? So how do you measure the worth of a man In wealth or strength or size? in how much he gained, or how much he gained? The answer will come, the answer will come to him who tries to look at his life through heaven's eyes. And that's why we share all we have with you, though there's little to be found. When all you've got is nothing, there's a lot to go away.